So good morning. If you turn to the psalm that was read earlier, Psalm 132, the only difference is I'm going to be speaking from the New King James Version. So this psalm is both a royal psalm and a messianic psalm. It's divided into two uh, sections, both of nine verses exactly, and if they're instead of being under one another, they were put beside each other, you would see they're exactly parallel to each other um, in their structure. But I'm going to leave that to you to uh, uh, think through, look at for yourself. In, this is one of the songs of ascent. It's a pilgrim song. Remember, as the pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, um, they're ascending to Jerusalem and reaching new heights also in their spiritual progress. The theme, the theme uh, ascends step by step from afflictions to a crown, from remember David to I will make the horn of David grow. It contains a revelation of the Lord's mind and will and the heart response of the Lord's servant. So let's journey with them um, on that pilgrimage. We shall begin with the Lord, Lord's anointed. Verse 10 says, For your servant David's sake, do not turn away the face of your anointed. And verse 17, There I will make the horn of David grow. I will prepare a lamp for my anointed. So who is the Lord's anointed? Is it David? Well, actually, anointed can be translated, should be translated Christ. Uh, Messiah, rather, and if you've got a New King James Version, you'll see uh, anointed is capitalized, which is the clue for you that it's, uh, it is uh, the Messiah that's being spoken of. Uh, A.M. Hodgkin, in his book, Christ in All the Scriptures, uh, says a double line of prophecy runs through the Psalms. One line speaks of the coming of the Messiah as an earthly king. The other, the coming of Jehovah, Israel's true king, her redemption and glory. The earthly hope and the heavenly run on parallel lines, but they never meet. In the light of the New Testament only do we see how David's son is David's Lord. David is a type and a shadow, a foreshadowing of the one who is to come. The shepherd king, David, points to that great shepherd of the sheep, uh, the good shepherd himself, our Lord Jesus. We see David's revelation uh, of that truth in Psalms 22 to 24. The good shepherd in death, Psalm 22, the Good Shepherd in Resurrection, Psalm 23. The Good Shepherd in Glory, Psalm 24. The Good Shepherd, the Shepherd King in Death, Resurrection, and Glory. So our psalm this morning is prophetic, royal, and messianic. Turning to verses 17 and, uh, and 18 of, of, of our psalm, there, as we, as we read it, uh, we learn that the Lord's anointed 
will go from strength to strength, grow brighter and brighter until he is owned and recognized even by his enemies who will be put to shame, but his crown, his kingship will flourish. Let's take a look at a couple of things in there. It springboards me to Psalm 2, and particularly verses 6 to 9. In verse 6, God is speaking. He says, I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. Remember that, the holy hill of Zion. We'll come to it. I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. God has spoken. It's done. Then we have the response of the king. He is set on his holy hill. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. You'll find you're in that on Thursday night, those of you who come to Bible study. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. I have set my king. But if we move on to Isaiah chapter 9, the, uh, the Christmas scripture, but it says so much more. Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be, will be upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful. Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. The central theme of the Old Testament throughout is Jesus. We come into the New Testament and you begin at Matthew chapter 1. There's the genealogy of Jesus from Abraham through David to Jesus. As we move on, we come to his forerunner, John the Baptist. And then in chapter 3, we come to Jesus' baptism. Have you ever thought about that? Jesus comes to John and John says, I need to be baptized by you, never mind me baptizing you. But Jesus said, thus it uh, behoves us to fulfill all righteousness, to do what's right in this situation. So John takes Jesus, the anointed one, the Christ, and immerses him in the water. Have you notice what happens? And the Holy Spirit can't wait. He's just got to be down there. Uh, takes the form of a dove and alights on him. And God the Father throws open the windows of heaven and shouts out loud, This is my son, my beloved, in in whom I delight. Can you hear what he's saying? 
He says, that's my boy. I love him. I'm delighted with him. God can't contain himself. This is the ultimate one after God's own heart. This is the anointed. We've been looking in Colossians recently, still there in chapter 1, part of the memory project, you remember, verses 19 and 20. It pleased the Father that in him, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell. Chapter 2, all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. It pleased the Father that in him, the Son, all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself. By him, whether things in heaven or on earth, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Christianity is called Christianity because its focus is the Christ. So let me ask you this morning, what's your your focus? So many in the church even today focus on green issues, sex and gender and the like. But it's also too easy for us to focus on the latest problem, the presenting challenge, health, family, money, on our career, our leisure pursuits. But let me encourage you to see everything in and through Jesus. Since you are in Christ and Christ is in you. Remember Paul's letters? He writes to those who are in Christ and at, wherever the place is. Our address, first and foremost, is in Christ, at Norwich. In Christ, at Norwich. Colossians 2, 6 and 7 says, that As therefore you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving. So have you received Christ Jesus as Lord? Not just Saviour. Lord, that means boss, he's in charge, he gets the say. He is the anointed, he is the Christ, the Messiah. As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord into your heart and life, so walk, so live in him day by day by day, rooted firmly and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding in it with thanksgiving, just so being so full up that it's just, wow, I'm in Christ and Christ is in me and I'm just so full of thankfulness. I'm living in this wonderful reality which uh, the world around me doesn't see or know, but I'm in the truth. I'm in him. It's the focus. My eyesight is 2020 because I'm focused on him, the Christ, the Lord's anointed. So we begin in our psalm with the Lord's anointed, but we continue with the Lord's choice. Verses 13 and 14 of Psalm 132. The Lord 
has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. Zion is his eternal dwelling place. Probably many of us could quote 2 Chronicles 7.14, If my people who are called by my name should humble themselves and pray, then will I hear from heaven, etc. The context is Solomon's dedication of the first temple. He's prayed and now God is answering, if my people. But I wonder if you've ever set it really in its context. Verses 15 and 16 read, Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. For now I have chosen and sanctified uh, this house that my name may be there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. Can you hear that? This is the place that the Lord says, I have chosen Zion, I have desired it for my dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I will dwell, for I have desired it. The Bible describes Jerusalem as the epicenter of the world. God's plan has always been to dwell amongst his people and his chosen place of dwelling has always been Jerusalem. So everything is seen from that perspective. Your perspective on things on the whole comes from where you're based. I grew up in South London and uh, North London was foreign parts. They're very different across the border. Mind you, I went across the border and picked up a wife on the way back. We together, we moved into the West Midlands to the black country. We're Southerners. We were such foreigners to them. They were so, the industrial heartland of the nation and it was just, we were soft Southerners. They were tough. Those ladies, you know, ladies made chain and, chain and nails in their backyard. And when a young woman was pregnant, her time was due, she'd go upstairs, have her baby, come back down and be working within a couple of hours. They were some tough cookies, those people there. We didn't understand. Then, God in his grace called us to rural Norfolk. <laughs> How different can you get? I couldn't understand a word they said. <laughs> I'd adjusted to the black country, and now, you see, where you're coming from is your perspective and so many ways. God's perspective is Jerusalem and your scriptures see things out from there. And remember what we read? My name will, may be there forever. My heart, eyes and my heart will be there perpetually. It's the epicenter of the purposes of God for all time and beyond. Psalm 122 
exhorts us in this way. I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compacted together where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity with your palaces. For the sake of my brethren and companions, I will now say, peace be within you because of the house of the Lord your God. I will seek your good. Just to let me stop off a moment and say, there's a theory that's abroad and has been long-term of uh, uh, what's known as replacement theology. That is that the, the church replaces Israel in the purposes of God. Well, just read your New Testament, particularly uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapters 9 to 11. is very, very clear. No, God has not rejected his people. We are grafted into and become part of the rootstock that is Abraham and on from there. And it's by grace we stand, but that's in the contact, the context. That being said, Jerusalem is both a literal, physical city and a type uh, that speaks to you and to me. In Hebrews 12, you'll find it. Uh, verse 18, for you have not come to, but verse 22, you have come to, this is, you have come to, this is talking to New Testament believers, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are registered in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men made perfect, to Jesus the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. You have come to Mount Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, and a part of that innumerable company of God's people. Our psalm tells us of those people, in verse 15, 16, I will abundantly bless her provision. I will satisfy her poor with bread. I will also clothe her priests with salvation and her saints shall shout for joy. Her saints shall shout for joy. In Psalm 92, it's, that's expanded on um, somewhat. Um, verse 12, the righteous shall flourish as a palm tree. He shall grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall bear fruit, still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The 18th century was one of the most remarkable times in the history of this nation, spiritually speaking. Many of us know quite a bit about the Reformation era, but the 18th century was uh, virtually a hundred-year revival. 
men like Wesley Whitfield uh, and so much more. You need to read the story to know. One of those prominent people in that time was John Newton. And uh, he captured this whole thing about uh, Zion He's in his hymn, Glorious things of thee are spoken, Zion, city of our God. He whose word cannot be broken formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's wall surrounded, thou mayst smile on all thy foes. See the streams of living water springing from eternal love. Well supply thy sons and daughters, and all fear of want remove. Who can faint while such a river ever flows their thirst to assuage? Grace, which like the Lord the giver, never fails from age to age. Blessed inhabitants of Zion, washed in the Redeemer's blood. Jesus, who their souls rely on, makes them kings and priests to God. Tis his love his people raises over self to reign as kings, and as priests his solemn praises each for a thank offering brings. Saviour, since of Zion's city, I through grace a member am. Let the world deride all pity, I will glory in thy name. Fading is the worldling's pleasure, all his boasted pomp and show, solid joys and lasting treasure. None but science, children, know. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. If Christ is our focus, then our dwelling place is with God and his people. The Lord, as we read in Psalm 92, plants his people where they will flourish by his grace and for his purposes. It's important for each of us, for all of us, to know where we are joined because there we'll be blessed and be a blessing. The New Testament knows nothing about unattached Christians. Indeed, it describes the church as a body, and in the body there are no spare parts or floating parts. They're all joined and connected. Just as we, the, our campaign has been about, uh, some of us are very well involved about the abortion issues, um, we know that right from inception, everything necessary needed for a full-grown, mature human being is there, and right from being born again, we have organically joined into Christ in his body, the church. And it's there we flourish, because there we are blessed, and there we can contribute. The question is, are you joined, planted, rooted? Let me testify, over many, many years, decades of life, there's no better or other place to be than be rooted and planted where the Lord would have you. The Lord's anointed, the Lord's choice. So it brings us to the Lord's servant or servants. 
want to point you out to you in verses 11 and 12 as we begin to look at this. The Lord has sworn in truth to David, he will not turn from it. I will set upon, set upon your throne the fruit of your body if your sons will keep my covenant. I will if you. Remember we looked at 2 Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people, then I will. When God plans to do something, he looks for those who will join him in his purposes. 2 Chronicles, again, but chapter 16, verse 9 says, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose hearts is loyal to him. The new uh, living translation, it says, to show himself strong on behalf of those who are fully committed to him. His whose hearts are loyal, are fully committed. And then in Acts 13, um, we hear Paul preaching. Is, uh, he testifies that after Saul, God uh, chose David to be king and said, I have found this David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. Man after my heart who will do all my will. That's why I said about uh, Jesus being baptized, this is my son in whom I delighted. Because he's got the ultimate man after his own heart. But here we are in David. Our psalm says uh, of, of David uh, that he swore to the Lord and vowed to the mighty one of Jacob, surely I will not go into the chamber of my house or go up to the comfort of my bed. I will not give sleep to my eyes or slumber till my eyelids until I find a place for the Lord, a dwelling place for the mighty one of Jacob. See, he'd been captured by the knowledge that God had desired a dwelling place. And now the passion of his heart was to bring that into existence under the guidance and direction of the Holy Spirit. We see in Noah, God said, no, I want you to build an ark. It took a hundred years, but he built an ark. God said to Abraham, I want you to take your son, your only son, and offer him. Abraham took his son and offered him. The Lord said to Moses at the burning bush, I want you to go back to Egypt and, and bring my people out. Moses went, said to David, the things he commissioned David for, and ultimately Jesus says of himself, I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. John 6, 38, you'll find in John's Gospel that several times over Jesus repeats something exactly similar. And God is still looking for people after his own heart who will do his will. Because we're not given the revelation of his mind and will in the scriptures of it just for our information so we can be theologically correct and be Bible-believing Christians. But if you don't put it into practice, you're not a Bible-believing Christian. You're just someone who knows the Bible. And that's a very different sort of category of person. God is still looking for people after his own heart who will do his will. This is the only way, I want to tell you, of being successful in the Lord's service. However, we should understand that it 
comes at a cost. Our psalm begins, Lord, remember David and all his afflictions. It's not a cheap, light, and easy calling. We're called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. However, he, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Why? Because he's our true yoke fellow. And if we are working with him, however tough the situation, then my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Because remember, Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Think about that. Nothing. Without me. However, we're not all called to lead in the purposes of God, but we are all called to be involved in the purposes of God in our day and generation. So look at our psalm again, verse 6 to 9. You notice it's, it's now it's we. Behold, we heard it in Ephrathah. We found it in the woods, the fields of the woods. Let us go into his tabernacle. Let us worship at his footstool. Arise, O Lord, to your dwelling place, you and the ark of your strength. Let your priests be clothed with righteousness and let your saints shout for joy. Well, the background to that is in 1 Chronicles 13, where we, we read how David, who had the vision and the passion and the calling, had consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. And David said to all the assembly of Israel, if it seems good to you, and if it is of the Lord our God, let us send out to our brethren everywhere who are left in all the land of Israel and with them to the priests and the Levites who are in their cities and their common lands that they may gather together to us and let us bring the ark of our God back to us. For we have not inquired of it since the days of Saul. Then all the assembly said that they would do so. For the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihar in Egypt to as far as the entrance of Hamath to bring the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim. You remember how after the Philistines captured the ark, they sent it back. And it had stayed there in Kiriath-Jerim, why it's described as a wood in the new, new um, King James is because that means forest city. It rested there, and our psalmist says, we hold, behold, we heard of it in Fratar, we found it in the fields of the It's been neglected. But David's plan, David's desire, is that together they would bring the ark and restore it to its place, a central place in the life and work, the ministry of all Israel. You see, a mov movement has been created now. A man of vision has shared his vision. People are drawn to it, begin to be involved in it, participate in the plan and with prayer. Our psalmist tells us they prayed in line with the word and will of God. Um, Arise, O Lord, to your resting place, etc. If you go to the end of the psalm, he says, um, I will also clothe her priests with salvation, her saints with 
with shouts of joy, with shouts of joy, uh, what they've been praying. Now God says that He's going to do for them in answer to their prayers. When those things come together like that, it's fantastic just to be part of it and see, engage with it. So I want to ask you, have you found your place in the purpose of God? Are you in, in positive, participating in the mission of God? Are you praying in the kingdom of God together with fellow saints? Because it matters. What I say earlier, there's no spare parts in the body of Christ. Each of us, all of us have a role to fulfill in God's plan. Every member has a function. There are many ways to be involved in the ministry out from here. There's prayer. The new version of the prayer diary is shortly going to be published. Participating every day. Praying. Purpose of God amongst us and for the people of God. There are prayer meetings, not least the Sunday morning at quarter to ten. There's giving. There's serving. There's evangelism, evangelizing out from us wherever you are placed. There are the cell groups. There's fellowshipping together, growing our relationships with fellow believers around our relationship to Christ because that's uppermost in our thoughts and what we share is building one another up in our holy faith. There's participating in one of the ministries that work out from here. Breathos, Norwich Healing Rooms, Partners, Word Trust, um, all sorts of opportunities as well as uh, other things. So here's our psalm. The Lord's anointed focus. The Lord's choice joined. The Lord's servants involved in the kingdom purposes of God. I find Psalm 132 is an inspiring and a challenging psalm. I want to ask you, what will you do in the light of our thinking this morning? Do you need to refocus? Are you rooted? Are there blessings you're not currently enjoying that you could be? Other opportunities you need to grasp for the Lord. I'm going to end by quoting 2 Corinthians 6 2. Paul's quoting Isaiah 49 8 and says, In the time of my favor I heard you, and in the day of salvation I helped you. And Paul comments, I tell you, I tell you, now is the time of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. Let me urge you not to put things off. Don't delay. Grasp the nettle. Take those steps. Do the thing that God is speaking to you about so you don't look back later and think, I missed it because I didn't respond to the Lord's speaking to me. Rooted, joined, serving. 
Let's pause for a moment in our own hearts to respond to the Lord.